0: Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church around the world celebrates the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, in the first few years of our early church, this event was extremely embarrassing for our church. The apostles had a very difficult time explaining how Jesus could accept this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, the apostles avoided this question. They didn't want to talk about it for many years. They focused on the resurrection. Now, it begs the question, why? Here, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, here he's seeking a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Picture it. John is out there. He's north of Jerusalem by the Jordan River. People are standing on the banks of the Jordan River. What is John preaching? One thing repent for the forgiveness of sins. And then he tells the people if they truly want to be forgiven of their sins, an outward expression of their remorse and their sadness for their sin, as well as a desire to change and be a better person is to wade into the waters and be baptized by John. And the people do just that. And so does Jesus. He's right there with them. Now, we cannot deny this event. In fact, you see it in all four of the Gospels. If there's any story or any event in the public life of Jesus Christ that you would think the evangelists, the writers of the Gospels, would omit and leave out, it would be this. Here, Jesus, he begins his ministry by seeking a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It just doesn't make sense, does it? That's why if you look at Matthew's account, John is totally taken back by this. He looks at Jesus and he says, you should be baptizing me rather than me baptizing you. And so John, he himself doesn't understand this. And therein lies the great divine paradox. Now, don't get confused. Jesus truly is the Son of God. He truly is the second person of the Holy Trinity. He's the spotless Lamb. He's sinless, always has been, always will be. So again, it begs the question, why? Why does Jesus subject himself to this humiliating baptism? Well, first it tells us, How counterintuitive God operates. God's ways are not our ways. We don't always understand why God does things. Jesus here, he lays aside all of his glory and all of his power, and he slips quietly into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River. More to it, he stands shoulder to shoulder with all the other sinners, and that's what's important. What kind of sinners are these? Well, they ordinary sinners. Some of them may be very serious sinners. Well, they are people like us. We, too, are sinners. And Jesus now stands with them. Now, remember, this is the very first act in Jesus' public ministry. A good analogy to help us appreciate this event is when we take a new job. When we take a new job, what's our first instinct, our first inclination to impress the boss? We'll arrive at work early, we'll leave late, we'll work very hard, we'll try and do good things, all to impress our boss, to make him or her know that the decision that they made to hire us was the correct decision. And yet, look at Jesus. The very first day of him at work it seems like it's the absolutely worst thing for him to do. You know, subject himself to this baptism. Again, therein lies that divine paradox. Jesus' first act in his public ministry is to stand shoulder to shoulder with sinners. And see, that's great news for us all. God comes into this world and he stands next to a sinful world. Here in this baptism, Jesus now identifies himself with our fallen state, our sinfulness. Here you have the sinless God, Jesus Christ, now identifying himself with our attitude, with our sinful state. It's in this very baptism that Jesus brings God's love down to a sinful world. This baptism clearly magnifies what Jesus' mission is all about. He comes to reconcile a world back to God the Father that has been wrought by sin. Jesus, his heart of his ministry is all about forgiveness of sins. That's why he always says, I have come for the sick and not for the righteous. Christ comes into this world to heal all sinners, to heal us. And see, this is exactly what Isaiah is getting at in the first reading. Fast forward to the first reading. Isaiah says what? Every hill will be made low, every valley filled in, every crooked path made straight. Well, Where have we heard this before? During Advent, John proclaimed this prophecy of Isaiah as he prepared the way for Christ. Well, what are hills and valleys? Well, they're hazards to travel, aren't they? And yet Isaiah is going to see a time in which the Messiah will come. And all hazards to travel, especially to travel, to reconcile ourselves back to God, are going to be removed. Even the greatest hazard to our travel back to God, sin itself, that too will be removed by Jesus Christ. Now remember, last week, we learned how important travel is in the spiritual life. Recall last week, the story of the Magi, and we learned that the journey of the Magi best mirrors our own spiritual journey back to God. But what makes travel in the spiritual life difficult? Well, sin. Sin disorientates us. Sin confuses us. It gets us on the wrong beaten path away from God. And yet, Christ is there to bring us back. That's why Isaiah says, "...here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom I am pleased." Whom I have put my spirit upon. He continues, I formed you and set you as a covenant of the people, a light for all the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from confinement, and from the dungeon those who live in darkness. Well, isn't that exactly what Jesus has done throughout his ministry? At the heart of Jesus' mission is that he comes into a fallen world to lead us back to God the Father to reconcile us. That's why Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. What do shepherds do? They lead sheep, don't they? They protect the sheep, make sure that the sheep are secure, are well fed. Jesus does the same thing for us. He feeds us with his body and blood. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy through the establishment of his church, sacred scripture, and the sacraments. And yet, Before he can do any of these things, before any of this can be done, he must first identify himself with us. How does he do it? By quietly slipping into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River and subjecting himself to a baptism from John the Baptist. In this event, Jesus is boldly proclaiming with great claritude that our God isn't a God that simply passes down judgment from on high. That's too easy to do. Instead, our God, with great humility, comes into our world and exposes himself to a humiliating baptism for the express purpose of beginning the work, beginning the great rescue operation for us all. And yet, none of this can happen without him first identifying with our state, our state of sinfulness. Jesus now stands in solidarity with us, And that's the reason why he had to do this in order to begin his public ministry. I'll give you a great example of this to help you understand it a little bit better. Take a coach, maybe a little league baseball coach. A good coach truly cares about their players. He identifies himself with them. Now, if the players are having problems with hitting or catching or throwing baseballs, the coach could easily pass judgment upon the players and start yelling at them. But if he truly cares about them, he begins to work with them. The first thing he does, he kneels down so that now he's eye to eye with that player. Now he's at the same level of that little player. And then he begins to work with them. He shows them to, how to handle a bat, how to swing it, how to throw a fastball, how to feel the ground ball. the extent that the players get better and better and better. Well, in some ways, that's what's going on here with Jesus and his baptism. Jesus, when slipping into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River, now he's getting at our level. Now he's eye to eye with us. He stands shoulder to shoulder with us in solidarity. Now he identifies with us in our fallen state. And now Now, the great rescue mission begins. Now, Jesus is able to begin his ministry in reconciling us back to the Father. And see, this is the reason why Jesus was baptized. It wasn't for himself. Instead, it was all for us. One last thing to think about. In this great event, we see, you know, the Holy Trinity on display. We don't really see it too much in sacred scripture. But when we do, we have to stop and take notice. Notice the odd detail. Right before the Holy Trinity reveals itself, it says, After Jesus had been baptized and while he was praying, the heavens opened up. In all four of the Gospels, it boldly proclaims that Jesus is always praying. In fact, prayer was indispensable for Jesus Christ, it was an important part of his life. In fact, Jesus was typically praying before significant events occurred in his life. He was praying before the Last Supper. He was praying before he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying on the cross before his own death. If Jesus Christ thought prayer was important for him, well, it should be for us. We should always have a healthy daily prayer life. That keeps us connected or plugged into Christ. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, pray unceasingly all the time. Now get back to my original statement. Yes, this baptism of Jesus Christ in the first few years of our early church was very, very embarrassing. The apostles had a very difficult time trying to explain why the Son of God needed a baptism of the repentance of sins. Why? The second person of the Holy Trinity subjected himself to a humiliating baptism. And yet, after a few years, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they got it. They got it that Jesus needed to identify himself with us. And therefore, they boldly proclaimed this event. That's why it's included in all of the Gospels. This event that we celebrate here today tells us that our God is a God that will go to any lengths to save us. Our God is a God that will stop at nothing to save us. Whether it is subjecting himself to a humiliating baptism or even dying on a cross, there is no length which our God will go to save us. And that, my friends, is great news for all of us. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.